Okay, good morning, everybody. Hope everybody's well. Happy Wednesday. For those that are here live, wherever and whenever you tune in, thanks so much for tuning in. We've been speaking a lot about this idea of discipline. Discipline is the complement to zeal. I got a great email yesterday. Somebody who, um, I'm gonna, maybe I'll ask her a question at the end of the week. She, she emailed me with the greatest title. She said, we are Navy zeals. I love that. Zeal. This idea of zeal really needs to be complemented. It needs to be calibrated with the same trait of discipline. Too much zeal and you're off. Too little zeal and you didn't even start yet. But if you don't have it calibrated with discipline, then you don't, we don't have the ability to say no. Discipline is of the most important traits that we have to employ in our lives. And we have to work on it, understand where it's from, understand how to make it work, be strategic. And yesterday, we were continuing the conversation of this limbic system that we have in the back of our minds that really is the hot system, drives us to impulse overwhelms us. It hijacks the rational thinking. And it gets in the way of our prefrontal cortex, which is the place where we are analytical, where we make rational decisions. And the real, the real challenge in life is to learn and to condition ourselves to live life in its full color. It's not to hide. It's not to sterilize. It's not to helicopter, to avoid. Our job isn't to avoid the world. We're not supposed to run away and, and get away from things. In fact, there's a great letter written by a famous rabbi named Rabbi Samsel Raphael Hirsch, who laments the fact that in many cases, regular, normal, healthy people leave communal affairs because it's political. When you're in charge of a local institution, whether it's a synagogue or um, a group or a political party or even a company, like it's complicated. People are there and they're part of it and it's hard and they got this person says this and that person and regular, normal people that don't have to do it, just leave. And he laments it because he's like, where are you running? Where are you going? Life isn't supposed to be running from conflict. You have to engage in doing what's right. Our job isn't to run away from things, to bury our head in the sand. Our job is to engage the world, but to know how to do it in a way that puts us always in control, not in the situation of ourselves. So we have to continue to have this conversation because we have to figure out how to lay the pipes between the back of our heads, the hot system, says things that we shouldn't have says, does things that we shouldn't have do, that we shouldn't do, eats things that we shouldn't eat, and the front, which is the analytical part. So how do we do it? So we're talking about it. So let's continue talking about it. So there's a, there's a great researcher named Dan Ariely. I believe he was with MIT, then he went moved to Duke. Israeli guy, brilliant man. And he did a lot of research in this area. I think he wrote, he wrote a book about acting irrational. I'm sure Andy is Googling it as we speak. He's got a couple of books out there about irrational thinking. 
and how a lot of what we do really is irrational. It's interesting that a whole bunch of Israelis are into this way of thinking, right? Dan Kahneman is one of the most famous Israelis. He's a Nobel laureate. He wrote his thesis is on basically irrational thinking. Like it's, it's incredible. If you bring, if you think about like Israelis and research on irrational or, or proper thinking, I guess it would make sense, I guess. Thinking, we're obsessed with thinking. See, he does this research study, which seems simple, but it's very powerful and very profound, where he passes out chocolate. Uh, yeah, Andy's got it up on the list for those who are watching live. He passes around a box of chocolates. I don't know chocolates. They all taste the same to me, to be honest. But if you're a chocolate connoisseur, you know the difference. And whatever is the best possible chocolate you can buy, he passes that out. And he passes it around to the crowd and he says, here's the deal. You can have, it's a half a box of chocolate. You can have a half a box right now of this chocolate for free. Or if you wait a week, you could, I'll give you a box and a half, right? Similar experiment to the marshmallow, right? But he takes it to the next level. See how similar this is like the marshmallow test for adults. So he looks around. Most people that pass around the box, half a chocolate now, it looks amazing. It looks delicious. They're smelling it. They're like, forget it. It's chocolate. I'll give you a box and a half in a week. They're like a box and a half in a week. Forget it. So most people opt for the half a box. Then he says the following. I'm giving you two more choices. In a year from today, I will send you a half a box of chocolates, same chocolates. Or in a year and a week from today, I will send you a box and a half. So it's the same exact decision, right? You have to wait a week to get an extra box of chocolates. And most people, as you can imagine, choose this, the latter option, which makes no sense. It's irrational, right? If you would be willing to wait a week for an extra box, what does it matter when the week is? Who cares if the week comes in a year, in six months, or right away? Why does it matter when the week comes in? You're waiting one week for the box of extra box of chocolates. And he begins this process, which we've been talking about, which is when we live in the present, the present contains the influence of this back of our heads of the limbic system. Impulse. When you're right now doing something, being present in something creates a certain relationship you have to the larger part of your mind. And as a result, impulsive behaviors and impulsive actions is more dominant right now. But when you're thinking about the future, that's when it's all rational, right? Like he says, we are amazing in the future. Like think about our future selves. Our future selves are the greatest people ever. Like, think about a year from now, about what we want to do. I mean, we're awesome. We never get upset. We're totally uh, disciplined. We wake up on time, right? Think about life when you go to bed at night. Think about that. You go to bed at night, right? And you say to yourself, I want to wake up in the morning, right? Like we always say, we're heroes at night. I wake up early. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to jog and write a book and do my taxes and go to work early and shower and learn and study and pray. By the time I roll into the office at like eight, which is before everybody else, I'll already have done everything, right? Because before you, when you go to bed at night, you're thinking about your future self and your future self is here. 
And you're thinking, I got to get up early. And what's so hard? If it's an extra hour, I'll work out. You know how good I'll feel if I wake up in the morning and I exercise? You know how good it feels to wake up in the morning and I study or I pray or I meditate? You know what good it feels to get up at the right? But when we go to bed at night, we're, we're thinking about the future. And in the future, we're amazing people. In the future, we never like eat the wrong things or say the wrong. We've got it all down. The picture of the future is like perfect. But the present, the alarm goes off. Eh, 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 eh. You're like, snooze. The present, they're passing the chocolates around. You're like, yeah, half a box. Who cares? And so if we really want to get underneath the system, we have to realize that we had to always be pushing towards the future. The more we get lost. Now, how does this work with being present? We'll get to. And if I forget, remind me. Because we have to balance that, right? Because you have to be here. But we're not there yet. The concept that we delay towards the future is the trick for how to override the impulse to get to the prefrontal cortex. Because we're not gonna win if we're playing in the wrong domain. This is really a, a big secret in war and battle and in sports, right? You can't really score points when you're playing defense. Maybe if you got a good defense, but for the most part, once you're playing defense, the only the real goal is just to hold them, right? Those of you who follow baseball, you know that, forget other sports, but let's say baseball, you can't score points if the other team is up. So the domain in which you're playing, are you defending or are you batting, is going to dictate how well you do. If you play into the hands of your enemy and now you are in, on their turf, you're fighting a very different war than when they come on your turf. The turf of the impulse is right now. The turf of the prefrontal cortex of rational thought is tomorrow, or at least outside now. That's why if you ever found yourself giving advice, you're finding yourself giving advice to somebody else. And then you hang up the phone and you're like, wow, that's, how did I know that? And you're like, oh, cause I'm going through the same thing. You ever have that where you're giving the advice? I honestly find that's God's way of, of giving you advice. My humble opinion. I haven't seen this anywhere. This is my personal opinion for whatever it's worth. I believe that. If you want God to give you advice, either it comes by someone giving you the advice, but if it re where it really comes in, in my opinion, is when God sends you somebody that's going through something similar, you give them the advice that you really need for yourself. You're done and you think, you go, wait, wait, that, I can use that. You ever have that? Where someone goes, I can use that. There's a great psychologist named Dr. David Pelkovitz incredible individual. He speaks about this, how if everything was cerebral, then psychologists would be the most well-worked out people in the world. Like when you go to the world of a psychologist, they, their lives would be perfect because they're giving advice. Not the case. Why? 
Because when I give advice to somebody else, there's no impulse. It's not my life. If I'm telling somebody else, don't smell the chocolates, I'm not smelling the chocolates. If I tell somebody else, just be calm with your children. Like, what's the big deal? They're children. Just, you know, relax. Tell your wife, even if she did this thing wrong, that you love her anyways. That's, that's, that sounds right. But when that person is in the moment and their kids are going nuts or the dessert is in front of them, there's impulse. So when you give advice to somebody else, you're using this. When you're living your life, you're using this. So the real way that we live our lives and use our rational brain is we have to hack it. That's simple. It's just a computer, right? Don't even say hacking it. We have to reprogram it, right? The brain works for us. We don't work for our brains. Every time I've lifted this cup, I think of the dairy. <laughs> How do we do it? So let's begin. And we're going to start talking about this. We begin with a man named Abraham Lincoln. July 14th, 1863. Abraham Lincoln is directing the Civil War from the White House. The telegraph was invented, as far as I remember. Andy's looking this up as we speak. During the tenure of Abraham Lincoln. Before that, you had to send a message through with couriers. So Abraham Lincoln is sitting in the White House. And really, one of the advantages that the North had over the South in the Civil War was that they had the access to telegraphs. So they were able to communicate much quicker than the South. Abraham Lincoln was directing the war from Washington. And after the Battle of Gettysburg, or a little before Lincoln, okay. But they didn't have it yet until Lincoln came into, the, into, uh, into power. So it was invented in the 1840s, but it was used in the 1860s. So after the Battle of Gettysburg, the North was in a position to really finish the war. Robert Robert Lee, Robert Lee's army was on the defense and they could have basically closed out the war and captured him and ended it. And Abraham Lincoln commanded George Meade, who was a general at the time, to go do that. And he didn't. And he was, I mean, as you can imagine, this civil war was a disaster for the American public. I mean, just right now we talk about like, the country's been never, never been more divided ever again, right? You ever have these, this is the most divided the country has ever been. I don't think so. I mean, there was a time where we actually killed each other. I mean, there was a time where people went to war against each other, states to states. Like that was pretty bad. I'm not saying it's perfect in here, but like there's a famous rabbi who lives, his, his name is Rabbi Lopiansky. He's, he's alive, but lives in Washington right now. Great man, brilliant scholar. He said, like, every time you hear someone said, this is the worst ever, like, I don't know, you got to really look at history. So Abraham Lincoln writes a letter basically relieving General Meade of his post and never sends it. Why does he write it for? They only find later when they went to Abraham Lincoln's desk, not only that, but many letters of people that he 
blasted. And he was upset with that were all found in his desk and they were full letters. And it says in the bottom of the letters, never signed or sent. Why did he do that for? Why did he write a letter that he never sent? Because he was tapping into this secret of delay. You can't beat your limbic system. You can't beat your impulses. You have to be smarter than your brain. And the way you reprogram your brain is you delay it. It's not like you're never going to do it. I'm just going to do it tomorrow. When you fight the war of your own mind saying, I'm not going to do something, you're going to lose because impulse is not rational and you're fighting with rational thinking. But when you tell yourself, I'll do it tomorrow, now you're living in the future. Now what you're doing is saying, I'm going to do it for sure. I'm sending that letter. I'm going to kill that guy. Like I'm totally, I'm, he, he did what? I'm the commander in chief of this army. And I told him to go left and he didn't go left. He did what? To say, relax, calm down. It's not going to happen. You're a human being. It's going crazy. Your, 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 your limbic brain, your, your, your impulses are going out of your mind. And then he did this, and this is what this, and then, and it's all happening. And then he's going to cost the war more people. I'm going to lose popularity. Everything is going to collapse because one person didn't listen to me. I mean, does that, that, that would sound familiar to you? Everything is going to collapse because one thing didn't happen your way. You know what I'm going to do? You know what I'm going to do? I'll write it. I'll send it tomorrow. This is one of the best advice I've ever got in my life. First year when I was in Davis Polk, when I was in the law firm that I started at looking at the time here. First year in my work, I spoke to a mentor of mine. He said to me, listen to me, I'm going to give you advice. Law is a very contentious profession. This is what you do. You're negotiating, you're fighting. Your corporate law is a jungle. Vis-a-vis clients, vis-a-vis associates, vis-a-vis partners, it's a jungle. If you ever write an email that is contentious in any which way, never send it the day you write it. It was unbelievable. That advice saved me a million times. I can't even tell you how many emails I had to write that was contentious. How many things that people did and even people that are maliciously trying to backstage. I can't even count throughout my whole career. How many times I was so upset. I sat down at a computer and I drafted an email that was even passive aggressive. I drafted the email and I heard the voice in my head, just send it tomorrow. So you're going to send it. For sure you're going to send it. They deserve it. You're right. Tomorrow. My limbic system is like, okay, fine. Tomorrow. It's okay. But we're going to get them. And I'm like, we're going to get them. I go home. I go to bed. I wake up. I come back. I look at the email again. I'm like, nah, I don't know. I shouldn't have wrote that. Maybe not that. What's the big deal, right? Do you know how many times that happened in my personal life? you know how many emails I have erased after writing in my life? How many quick responses that was that maybe may have been even innocuous, but just in hindsight, had I sent it, it would have been offensive. You know how many texts? You know how, many, how much communication in my life? I can't even count the amount of times in my life. I look back and go, oh my gosh, how many relationships would have been different? 
I'll do it. Manana. Abraham Lincoln's trick. This is the beginning of how we beat our systems. We move away from ourselves. We go into the future. And when we act into the future, we delay the impulse. We're not battling in their world. We're actually dragging the impulse into our world, into the future. We are, if you will, feeding it a little bit, just enough that it calms down and then forcing it to go into my world, which is the future. All right, we'll talk about this a little more. Try it today if you can. Well, hopefully not. But if you happen to have one impulse today, if anything comes your way today, something negative to say, or something you want to eat that you shouldn't, or something you want to say that you shouldn't, if anything comes your way today, anything small, yesterday we spoke about, and we're going to connect the dots, we spoke about the chasm. If anything small happens to you today, anything, try it. Just say to yourself, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll put it to the side. I'll handle it tomorrow. I'll say that tomorrow. Write it down a note. Tomorrow, I'll call them and tell what I have to say. In my house, I'll tell my wife, my kids, my husband, my this. I'll tell them tomorrow. Just try it. Slowly, we're going to do this together. We're going to work to strategically hone in on this impulse of us, of ours and make sure it works for us and, not, and, and we don't work for it. Okay, have an awesome day. Thanks so much for tuning in. And with uh, God's help, I cannot wait to see you again tomorrow.